The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is this week's host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host for the hour, Rob Haupt. I'm the Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies, as well as a board-certified behavior analyst. Um, I have the awesome role at AST to get to travel the country and meet families and meet professionals and just talk to people about what it's like to be a parent with a child with autism, to know more about the research, and, and just to get to know the communities. So that's really become a big foundation of each week's show. Uh, we're trying to take more and more of these conversations and use that as the foundation for each week's topic. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to check out the show before and you're brand new, you can always go back to our old topics on our website, um, as well as get other information and resources. Um, I have had the, the great pleasure of uh, putting a video blog um, out on the web for the last few months. And aside from just the, the shameless plug that is me talking about my blog, um, I'm actually really proud of it. And there's a lot of great information and a lot of great resources out there, um, which I really recommend you take a look at. Um, you can find them at the, the AST webpage. Um, but the topics we tackle sometimes are big topics like we're going to tackle today and talk about today. And sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're just quick questions, uh, quick comments posted um, at, on Facebook or a spin of a, a conversation I had um, with a parent um, somewhere where it was just something interesting and thought-provoking. Um, the, the other thing uh, that... The other thing um, that I wanted to talk about is... Um, just something that happened to me this past weekend. Um, I, I found myself in New Orleans for the first ever Autism Speaks walk. Um, it's the first walk that Autism Speaks has put on in New Orleans, and it was this, this great opportunity. Um, it was something that I've um, gotten to participate in in the past, but what was really telling to me about this walk were some of the conversations I had with um, some, some parents and, and some members of the community. And... I kind of got these two conflicting points, or, or I shouldn't say conflicting, but important points. Um, on the one hand, I got an eye-opening experience um, and, a, and a great reminder of why we talk about early intervention as much as we do and as, as thoroughly as we do. And, and a good friend of mine um, named Kelly really reminded me of just why there's so much research and support and, and just conversation about it. But on the flip side, I was also reminded that despite all of this awareness for early intervention and despite all of the conversations we're having about ABA and other types of interventions, we're not necessarily talking as frequently and as thoroughly about the needs of kids as they age, teenagers, adults. And I started having this conversation with this one woman um, whose son was, um, I believe her son was about 16, 17, if I remember correctly. And we started saying this, and I start to say, this seems like it's missing, or there's not enough guidance here. And she just face lit up, pointed her finger at me and said, you got it, that's it, we need that. And that seems to be a message that all of you out there are really reiterating and, and saying, um, whether it be on Facebook, whether it be through some emails, whether it even be some phone calls we're getting 
about we need more guidance. We need to talk more about this. We need to talk more about what is the next phase for my child. Um, and I think the, the huge benefit of this, not just for the kids who are older and for parents who, of kids who are older, there, there's a huge benefit for, for the early intervention population and, and for parents who have kids who are younger. It, it gives us vision to the future. And one of the best lessons I think I've learned in ABA came from, uh, from a former professor of mine was that always look to the future. Always plan your goals in, ahead. Always look to ahead. Where are we going? Not just in this one moment, what is this goal? And so I think by having this focus on, on adulthood and teenage years and, and increasing this dialogue, we're not just helping our kids as they get older, but we're helping them today in planning what an intervention can look like and what goals we should work on and what our priorities are. So that's our big topic for today, and, and that's what I'm really looking forward to talking to my guests about is this part of adulthood and the, the unique struggles and, and having that dialogue. So my guest today is uh, Dorothea Lerman. Uh, Dorothea Lerman is currently a professor of psychology at the University of Houston Clear Lake, where she coordinates a master's program in behavior analysis and serves as the director of the UHCL, University of Houston Clear Lake, Center for Autism and Developmental Disabilities. She received her doctoral degree in psychology from the University of Florida in 1995, specializing in the experimental analysis of behavior. Her areas of expertise include autism, developmental disabilities, functional analysis, teacher and parent training, and treatment of severe behavior disorders, particularly aggression and self-injury. Uh, Dr. Lerman's graduate students serve as behavioral consultants for several school districts in the Houston area and provide services to children with autism through an on-campus psychology clinic. Dr. Lerman has published more than 60 research articles and chapters. She served as the associate director for the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis and Research in Developmental Disabilities and was the founding editor of Behavior Analysis and Practice and is also currently the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis. She was the recipient of the 2007 Distinguished Contribution to Applied Behavioral Research Award and the 2001 B.F. Skinner Award for New Researchers, awarded by Division 25 of the American Psychological Association. She also was named a Fellow of the Association of Behavior Analysis International in 2008. Uh, Dorothea, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's really cool for me, actually, to uh, to have you because um, I, I actually feel like I know a lot about you just because I know so many of your former students. Um, <laughs> some of them I actually work with, and some of them I you know, actually just spoke with this past weekend at that walk I was talking about because uh, a lot of them have, uh, have moved on to New Orleans or uh, maybe have some past connections to you prior to uh, going to Houston Clear Lake. So they were all really excited that uh, you were going to be the guest today. Oh, neat. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. I felt like I'm like, oh, I finally have like a conversation with someone I've heard many stories about. It's really <laughs> exciting. Thank you. Um, so, I, you know, just to start off, I was just kind of curious if, um, you know, we're talking about adults, and I know that's a topic that uh, you feel really passionate about as well. Um, and I was hoping you could maybe start off uh, sharing with us some of, the, um, some of the studies you've conducted in the past that you really feel like you've learned a lot from. Sure. Actually, um, my interest in adults probably began before I ever went to graduate school. My very first job uh, in the field before I went to graduate school was working for a sheltered workshop for adults with developmental disabilities. Uh And I worked there for two years and just loved working with the population. Um, Then in graduate school, we also worked with adults, but these were adults with very severe intellectual disabilities and severe self-injury. Once I left graduate school, I was primarily working with children. I actually had not returned until very recently to the adult population. And and we've just started to to look at this issue because, um, so at the the Autism Center uh, at the University of Houston Clear Lake, we have a number of programs geared toward early intervention, as you were saying, that is really the big focus, and it's very important. Absolutely. And there's certainly a lot of funding for that and support for that. 
But I began to get calls from people in the community, particularly uh, parents and other family members, saying, well, what about adults? You know, what, what are you doing with adults? And I, at the time, I kind of felt like we, we could only stretch ourselves so far. But I began to think about some of the issues related specifically to employment. Um, and I heard about some, some recent studies showing that more than half of individuals with an autism spectrum disorder um, do not have or are not employed. Um, there was a recent study published in just this year uh, that showed that about 55% um, had, had been employed at all uh, up, up to six years after high school. And what this really caught my eye was because this was much um, much different than individuals with other disabilities, even people with intellectual disabilities. And so I began to think that this is really a very important area, and it's, it's a challenging area mm-hmm. because when somebody is having problems getting and keeping employment, there could be a whole variety of reasons. And there's been very, very little research, practically none, looking at why these individuals are having so much difficulty gaining and maintaining employment. In fact, the little bit that we know is based on simply interviewing individuals with with autism spectrum disorders and just asking them. We have a few studies where, not that I conducted, but other people conducted, asking them, well, why are you having trouble? And they said things like they weren't trained adequately for the job, their coworkers were not tolerant of their differences, they had a lot of difficulty interacting with coworkers and other supervisors, they had uh, the expectations for them were unclear. And I should mention that the population in particular that I'm focusing on are individuals with either no or very mild intellectual disabilities. These are individuals that I would have assumed prior to reading some of the research would have no problems getting employed or at least no no more difficulties than many other people. And but I'm Dorothy, I'm gonna, I, I apologize because you're really getting into it, and this is the stuff I, I can't wait for us to talk about. But we're right up against a commercial, so I'm okay. going to ask you to hold that thought because I actually think that this piece about you know these perceptions of what you would have assumed um, with all of your experience versus what you found is, is a really interesting thing for us to explore more. So I want to jump right back into that when we come back from this break. We'll be right back, okay. everybody. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, we're back with Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and I'm joined by Dorothea Lerman. Um, you know, right before the break, you were, you were talking, Dorothy, about um, this I guess um, the struggles that some of the individuals you uh, you were talking to, and some of the struggles in the research that you had uh, you had um, reviewed in terms of getting prepared for uh, working with adults, and yeah, something that you really that 
you said uh, was stuck with me was this idea of the struggles that these individuals who were reporting their difficulties holding down a job, um, the struggles they were having with coworkers. And, you know, right away I was really struck by, wow, despite all this awareness we have, you know, all the articles, all the news reports, um, we still have so much more to go in terms of making people aware of, hey, this is an individual who has autism, um, and then being more understanding and accepting about maybe some of the social struggles that would come up or other struggles in the workplace, um, and that these people were not open-minded to that at all. Oh, yeah, most definitely. It, but one one difficulty, I think, with this area is that there could be so many different problems, mm. each with a, a different area that you need to focus on. So one one area that we you just sort of touched on was this difficulty interacting with coworkers and with supervisors, mm-hmm. and so then some type of social skills training would be appropriate. But then you have others who their difficulty may be just your basic professional skills in terms of getting to work on time, mm-hmm. you know, meeting deadlines, not taking excessive breaks. And that's, that's not something that social skills training is going to help with. Um, and, there, and then it could be that you don't have a good match between the skill sets of the person and the job that they've been asked to do, and they need training for that specific vocation. Mm-hmm. And so I think what needs to be done is sort of uh, someone to develop some type of assessment when someone presents with this problem um, mm-hmm. to sort of narrow down what it is that they exactly that they need. And, of course, getting the job itself is a whole different skill set, you know, how you, how you come across in interviews and how you put your resume together. So it's just such a huge area. Well, and I think that's, yeah, from, just from my personal experiences working with some young adults who were preparing for the workplace, um, that was actually the biggest challenge was the, okay, I've got the skills for this job. And I think I know how to not take excessive breaks or to communicate the need for a break, but they were tanking these job interviews. They would go in and just, they had all the, the core skills but couldn't relate to that person who was asking them the questions. And, and that's where they were failing a lot. Because um, mm, right. it was this like, it was this whole other level of interpersonal skills because it wasn't as black and white as the, okay, I've got this coworker next to me. Um, I'm having a hard time. Let me ask for help. Like, how do you right. ask? You can't really ask for help on a job interview. You kind of have to sell yourself in a way. Um, oh, right. And, and we, don't, we don't prepare our, our teens or our young adults for that um, until, like, the last second in, in many times. Right. And many times what they're getting, if they're, if they're getting it, is they're getting supported employment. Mm-hmm. And there's a counselor there to sort of help them along the way mm-hmm. and kind of line up those jobs for them. So they're not, I don't think, in many cases, really getting the training that they need to be able to independently do that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that you, you talked about fit, and I know a lot of times the support of employment, it's, it sometimes feels like, okay, well, let's get the job that we can get without thinking about fit. Um, actually, I met someone, you know, again, I had this, like, great day at this walk on Sunday, and this um, a friend was telling me about... Uh, her, a family member of hers who had this killer job, not that it was this amazing job with this amazing pay, but he was a sports fan and it had a sports element to the job. It's not that he was working for a team, but there was a lot of time to talk about sports and there was um, a lot of it, there was a lot of TVs around so that, and sports were always on the TVs. So he was in a, a restaurant environment. But uh, there were sports. There was a sports bar. It had that type of theme to it. And he loved going to work every day. And he didn't need a whole lot of help because he was able to um, be motivated. Yeah, that's a great example of, of really matching someone's interest to the job mm-hmm. and not necessarily having to worry too much about the actual job itself, but other things that go along with that job that will keep them interested. Yeah. And I think the other part that they did really well, which you know, I, I want to do better myself, you know, here with, with AST, is they, the employer was prepped and ready to go ahead of time of, like, strengths and weaknesses for the person. And I thought yeah. that was really telling because it, it could help, like, 
okay, he's not working so well today. They, I think they were a lot more tolerant. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right with that, that a lot of the interventions might have to relate to the individuals that they're going to be working with. Yeah. You know, so that, again, there was um, uh, uh, feedback from some individuals that they their, coller, their coworkers were not tolerant of their differences. And so... Um, to some extent, you can teach them how to fit in and go along, but to, I think that there needs to be some education of their coworkers as well. Mm-hmm. That kind of led us to our specific, uh, the specific line of research that we're doing, um, and in in looking at what has been done. And actually, before I get to that, mm-hmm. I was really surprised to find very little research in this area in terms of intervention. I was shocked, actually. Um, do you and have any thought as to maybe why that is? Now that I you've don't. Kind of, no? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think part of it might be funding. Mm. Um, when you see grant announcements, mm-hmm. it, it's very they very rarely are targeting adults. Mm. Um, and so that, I think that's probably a big part of it. But I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I think because partly is that there's this huge focus on early intervention, which is very important. And I think that in particular, both children and adults who, with autism spectrum disorders who have very mild or no intellectual disabilities, they tend to be overlooked in both research and practice mm. because they're often, you know, doing okay in school. Mm. So, you know, academically they're doing okay. And so they're not given not given some of the, the special attention that, that other children might, and I think that carries over until, into adulthood. And I was just amazed in, in terms of both outside of behavior analysis and even inside behavior analysis. Outside of behavior analysis, there's been a few studies just looking generally at the benefits of supported employment. Mm-hmm. Very few were controlled studies. And in fact, there was a, a review that just came out this year in pediatrics, where they were looking at studies, and they they said they could only find five, and that they were all of very poor quality. They basically wow. said they did not meet the the standards of good research. Wow! And within behavior analysis, the only thing that I could find was a series of studies by Keith Allen and his colleagues, mm-hmm. where they were teaching individuals with autism spectrum disorders a very specific vocational skill. And that was to do the the duties of uh, a mascot. So you see those individuals wearing the inflatable costumes mm-hmm. at you know grand openings of stores yeah. or at sporting events. And he thought, well, this might be uniquely suited for individuals with autism because the social interaction you don't have to pick up on on social cues of people. You just kind of play out a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had, I believe, three studies he's published showing um, individual teenagers and young adults with autism spectrum disorders to to do those those duties that a mascot does. And it's funny, and, I actually know like three individuals who have that job. Three oh, individuals really? Are, yeah, I actually, I'm, I'm thinking of them as you're talking. I'm like, I know individuals on the spectrum who have mascot jobs where. Well, that's great. And they love it. But, That's great. That, well, that I, so shows it, that his research has really had an impact. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I was like, i got to share that. That's so cool that we're talking about this piece that I know. Sorry. Yeah. So that got to me thinking as well. I, and I went back to these, these verbal reports by individuals with autism mm-hmm. about why they were having so much trouble mm-hmm. in terms of not trained well, their coworkers weren't tolerant, the expectations weren't clear, and I and I and I had that in my mind, and at the same time, I was getting calls from many parents wanting more direct therapists for their kids, and there's just not enough of them out there. Yeah. And I kind of put the two together, which at first I thought was probably one of the worst ideas I could have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but the more I thought about it, I kind of put the idea away for a while and then returned to it, and then I thought it's worth a shot because... My thought was that in terms of teaching individuals to be direct therapists for kids with autism, people who are behavior analysts who are teaching these individuals, we use very structured training with systematic feedback. Mm -hmm. We don't just train someone and go away. We know that you have to observe them 
periodically, forever, basically, and give them feedback. Obviously, their coworkers would be very tolerant of their differences. I think the expectations generally are very clear. And typically what you're teaching, particularly, for example, if you're teaching them the procedures of discrete trial teaching, you teach them to do things very scripted almost. They have to implement these procedures based on what the child does, and they have to be very consistent. Mm -hmm. And so I thought this might be another potential vocation that would interest some of these individuals and would fill an unmet need for more direct therapists. At the same time, though, I had some reservations because some people were saying, well, uh, these individuals don't multitask well, mm-hmm. and as you as you know, when you're working with kids, you've got a lot of be, you've got to be collecting data. You've got to be thinking about, you know, when am I going to deliver reinforcement? When am I going to prompt? Yep. And there's a lot to think about. Um, it requires some flexibility too. So if your supervisor comes up and says, "Okay, I want you to prompt slightly differently," uh, you, sh- you need to be able to handle that and adjust what you're doing, it's and you have to be. Re- Sorry, yeah, it was, it's actually, it's funny you're mentioning this, because I actually had a teenager I worked with who at 16 said, I want to be a behavior analyst. And oh. he's exactly who, that, the exact type of individual you're describing, where he, very, very bright, you know, brilliant young man, but, and he got the principles and the, the ABC nature of, okay, let me understand the function of the behavior. And he really bought into those ideas, and he started to identify his own behaviors. But it was the do the trial while doing the data collection, while thinking about the next piece and taking feedback from a supervisor. That's exactly where he got hung up when he started to pursue it a little bit further. Yeah, yeah. And I think sort of um, one um, misunderstanding about individuals with autism is they don't want to work with people, and they're not social, and and that's not true at all. And what I found when I started looking for our initial participants for our first study was that there were a lot of individuals with autism who not only had a a strong interest in working with kids, they had already been working with Mm -hmm. kids. They had been volunteering at their church's Sunday school or volunteering to be a teacher's aide in a classroom. So many of them were already trying to pursue something with kids. Mm. So we, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I I want to talk more uh, about your participants in your study, but I also want to give you a chance to to really get in there, and and we're up on another break. These these kind of sneak up on you real fast when you really get into a, a good conversation, which we got going. So let's take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we'll talk more about your study and uh, pick up with your participants. All right. Sounds good. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, we're back with Dr. Dorothy Lerman, uh, and we're talking about some of her research and specifically uh, emphasizing on um, services for adults and employment and vocational skills. And right before the break, uh, you were starting to share with us about the participants and the research you're conducting now. So, Right. 
So uh, for we have one study that's been completed. Okay. And we had four participants in this first study. I will say that one of the participants did not complete the training. Mm. So we did have three that completed. Um, all of them were above the age of 18. So they were actually mo- they were generally in their early uh, mid to late 20s. Um, they all had an IQ that was above 70, and uh, several of them had had prior employment. Uh, several of them had not. Um, most of them, they had not done well in their prior employment, and they had all had prior experience working with kids in some capacity, mm. generally as a volunteer um, at, a, at a church program or something like that. But to, to participate, they had to have an interest in working with, learning how to work with kids with autism as a potential vocation. Wow. And you said three out of the four were successful with the training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm curious. My, my Right away I'm thinking, did you guys notice in addition to the success, like was there, was there almost there like a role model effect where, you know, they, they had this pride or, or anything along the lines of that, like, hey, I'm a role model for this person. I'm teaching them, but I'm teaching someone like me. You know, it feels like a big brother type of program in a way. The reaction that they seemed to have was, that was me when I was little. Yeah. That was definitely, they felt like they could identify with the child. Definitely, they had that reaction. And that that, that to me seems like a really powerful thought of that. I don't know, we've been talking about self-report and a lot of the research having to do with that, and I feel like you know, having worked with, with a number of individuals in that teenage year who, you know, like I said, um, I've got my one guy who wanted to be a behavior interventionist, and that's what he said was one of his motivations at the time was, I want to help someone else who's like me. Yeah. And that was a very motivating thing for him. Although he didn't become a behavior analyst, he did go on to college, and that helped motivate him to take another step in his life. Yeah. Now, one thing that I hadn't mentioned, because we have not directly studied this yet, and I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do that, but one thought that I had was that there would be these collateral benefits to the participants in terms of if if they're learning, for example, to look for certain responses of a child, certain social responses or, or eye contact that they're then going to reinforce, mm-hmm. that that perhaps might lead to better social skills on their part mm-hmm. and better able to pick up on social cues of others That's because really they're learning how to, see, to, to look for it in the child and so that they can reinforce it as part of behavior programs. That would be amazing to like have insight into that. Yeah, I could totally see why you want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing I did forget to mention, all of them had a high school diploma. One of them also had a bachelor's degree. Mm, got it. Fabulous. Yeah. So it's funny that when I first designed the study, I, you know, I had no idea the types of participants I was going to get, what they would be like, and how the study was going to go. So when I designed it, there was going to be no kids involved in the study. It was going to be done through role play completely role-play with research assistants. But mm-hmm. from the very first training session, it went so well that I immediately put together a part two phase of the study where they actually then worked with a child, a young child. That's awesome. And show, yeah, and showed that the skills that they had learned in role-play, they, then, they then successfully uh, taught a new skill to a young child with autism, a four-year-old mm-hmm. who, uh, who was coming to our clinic for services. Wow, that that that's incredible. I'm just so I'm just so amazed by that, and just like you said, like these other collateral studies or these next steps to it. I mean, there seems like there's so much you could do with this, and obviously, motivated to do ABA, motivation to do another type of job, it can expand into a whole lot of other areas. Definitely, and I think, and I'll, I'll talk about our next study in a Please moment because we've just we've just started it, but. Um, Something that occurred to me, actually a very good friend and colleague, Dr. Linda LeBlanc, kind of put a little bug in my ear when she heard about this study, and that is 
you know, in clinics and agencies that serve children with autism, there are a variety of jobs. Not all of them involve working directly with the child. Yep. You know, it could be entering data, in, you know, data that's collected on the ch- children's performance, and mm-hmm. we know how important data collection is. Um, it could be creating the materials, educational materials. So there's there's a variety of jobs, and another step might be to start to match people's, you know, strengths and interests with those jobs um, as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's something I've actually, what you're talking about is something I've talked about on the show before. Um, so I used to be, um, I actually used to be in New England at the uh, New England Center for Children. And, you know, functioning in this school environment, um, there were a lot of things that take place at the school on a day-to-day basis beyond just some of the administrative things. So a lot of my clients who I was working with were working in those types of job arenas. They were taking advantage of them as a training opportunity, but some of them actually kept these jobs more long-term than that. So it could vary from some of these data programming type of things, but it also even ranged like, hey, we've got school here, like let's all work on some of the different functions. We don't necessarily need to have a full-time lunch crew. Let's all work together. Um, And obviously the cool thing about that was the younger kids often saw the older kids serving lunch and would be like, I want to do that too down the road. Um, It was a a, a cool experience. Yeah, I mean, many of the positions that, you know, we're filling with, with, uh, with our own behavior therapists certainly don't always have to be, you know, those responsibilities don't have to be yeah. necessarily done by them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking about all the things our, our behavior therapists have to do that go beyond just working with the kids. And you're like, yeah, that could be someone's job. That could be a training opportunity. That could be a teaching opportunity for somebody. Um, just a, a quick follow-up uh, for the participants that, that uh, completed the study. Mm-hmm. One of them took a, a volunteer position at a local clinic for young children with autism, and she that volunteer position turned into a paid position. She's working there for nine wow. hours a week now. She primarily leads their group instruction. Uh, they had tried to train her to work with multiple children on multiple programs, and I think it was just too much mm-hmm. at once for her, but she does very well leading the group instruction with the mm-hmm. children. And then a second participant is currently volunteering at another clinic. Um, and I'm not sure about the third one that, that finished. I'm not sure what she's doing. Um, at the time that she participated in the study, she was sort of looking at, at her options and sort of trying out different vocations, she said, to see what she thought she would be most interested in. Nice. Outstanding. Well, um, you know, I think we've talked a lot about your your past study, but I, I want to make sure you have time to talk about uh, what you've got coming up, uh, the study you're working on now. Yes. So so what we taught the individuals in this, this first study was discrete trial teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started thinking about some of the other uh, interventions that we use with, with young children that may be uh, even more challenging for individuals with autism spectrum disorders. And one is, is what uh, people refer to often as incidental teaching, mm-hmm. where you're following the interest of the child and you're capitalizing on those interests to then prompt and reinforce. And we thought that might be a little bit more challenging to someone to pick up on when a child looks interested in something and when a child has lost interest in something. And so the, the, so this study that we've just started is we're teaching individuals how to use incidental teaching. And so we've just started with our first participant. He's, just, he's into his second week of training, doing really, really well. Wow. And if he has, right now he's in the role play phase. Uh, he did, he's doing so well in that that probably one more training session and then we will put him with a child and see how he does with the child. I would love to find out, you were talking about that collateral effect from your previous study. I'm wondering how monumental it could be the collateral effect from this type of study where if you learn to do incidental teaching, picking up on someone else's interest, could, how much of an impact could that have on social skills when you're interacting with people in the community recognizing their disinterest or interest in what's going on and even tying that back into like the job interview part that we talked about in the beginning be sometimes being so challenging. 
most definitely. And I would we're still trying to figure out the best way to study that. We're, we are trying to study that in this in this particular study. We have set up some conditions to look at that to see if we do see some changes. I'm not sure it's going to get us what we want it to be looking at. So that's sort of a, a work in progress. That part. Yeah, it's a big it's a big part to try and figure out and yeah. take to the next level. Yeah. Um, well. We're right up against uh, another commercial break, so why don't we take one last break, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about um, where do you think uh, employment skills and, and where do you think we as a field uh, should maybe be moving um, and better ways to support our, our clients and our families. So we'll be right back after this. Sounds Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, we're back, everybody. Uh, I'm Rob Haupt, your host this week with uh, Dorothea Lerman. Uh, And we're talking about her research into vocational training and kind of with our last segment here in our last few minutes, I really wanted to uh, really get your opinion on, on where we should go from here. And I, and I, we were talking a bit during the break and you said, you know, the research part is that first step and that's in some ways the easier part. Um, and the, this next part of where we go and how to apply it all seems to be a, will be the, a big challenge. Um, you know, what do you, what do you see as those like big challenges for us and, and those hurdles for us? Yeah, I, I mean, I think my my sort of first step into this, I, I did take. I think to me that probably is an easy step in looking at a, a very specific vocation, but I think the general area of improving employment outcomes and imp- improving employment for individuals on the autism spectrum is challenging because it's just huge. And kind of to, to return to what we were talking about at the very beginning, and that is when someone is having trouble either getting or keeping employment, there's so many different reasons, and it could relate to so many different skill sets. Yeah. And so I think what we need to do is not only look at ways to, to quickly figure out what what is the problem and what intervention do we need to use, but there, aren't, there hasn't been much research on any specific interventions right. for difficulties on the job. And I think, and I think it's... No, I, I'm, sorry, I was I'm just going to say... It's, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think one of the challenges is you have to do some of that research at, at the job. Yeah. And so that can, that can make it tricky. I think you, you brought up a great point at the top of the show is just to the fact that there, there's no real assessment out there. If I'm it do, trying to do an intervention, you, you know it even better than I do, you know, with all of your training and your experience, um, Assessment is so critical to what to what we do is to how we do our interventions, and we don't even have really good tools to do that. And I thought what you were talking about at the beginning of the show of needing to develop those tools. Okay, what is there's so many domains or so many areas where someone could fail in the job setting. Being able to pinpoint what they are seems to be something we're still struggling with big time. Yes, and then how to best collect that information. Because, yeah. I mean, you can't just interview and speak with the person um, 
who is having the difficulty. Right. If you can directly observe on the job, that would be great, but that might be challenging. Uh, certainly talking to their employers and their coworkers would be necessary too, but that could get awkward. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one other thought I just had is, you know, and, and, and again, we talked about this really quickly during one of our breaks, but we're talking about this. Uh, our, clearly, families are talking about this, and there's. You look at, you know, you're you're in Texas, you're working in Houston. There is a, a mandate in effect, but it actually only goes until the age of ten. So the actually, typical... in Texas, in Texas, I don't think it goes up to the age of ten. I think it's only three to ages three to five. I think they, I'm not sure that, I think they may have extended it a bit, but they definitely don't go into the teenage years when when all of this would be critical. Oh, no. And it, no. it, it seems like, I wonder, you know, we talk about this idea of, I talk a lot about medical necessity to my families here in California. That's a big part of um, qualifying for funding. And without this research, it seems like how do we go about even talking about medical necessity to an insurance company about, this is more than just job training. It's about like life training in many ways. It's about functioning as as an independent adult. Um, I almost feel like if we could get some of this research done, how much of an effect would that have on the funding side of things? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges is is the funding. Mm-hmm. Um, something brand new in Texas, the Department of Assistive and Rehabilitative Services, okay. which is a state state department. They have a vo- they have vocational services program, and they just recently this year started a new program where they're specifically focused on I- individuals with autism spectrum disorder. Oh, wow! And they're going to be teaming up with behavior analysts to provide social skills training and behavioral intervention for those individuals who are struggling with employment. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. It it seems like that. The, the consistent theme, I think, for most families is where do I go besides my school to find these skills or to find these training, this training for my child? Yeah. So it's good that there's more resources. Um, you know, we, we, we have about a minute left. Um, is there, you know, we've talked about a lot of different issues, and I feel like we've, we've given some good insight into where we should be going next and, and maybe where some of the field should look. Um, are there any closing thoughts you have just for a parent out there who says, you know, this is my kid, this is what I need? Any, you know, quick wisdom or, or advice for them of, of maybe where to turn next? Um, that's, that's challenging because it's really going to depend on where they live and what services might be available. But certainly checking to see if the state has some vocational services that would be appropriate. I think some people aren't aware of some of the help that's out there. Yeah. So I think checking with state vocational services, contacting local behavior analysts, uh, many of them will work with with individuals who are uh, who are adults, and they just they may not make it their focus, but they may be willing to to do that. Folks like you and me who kind of did it earlier in life and <laughs> come back to it down the road because. And I know for me, I, I miss it sometimes. I miss some of my older kids from uh, from the past years. So, yeah. I, I have to say, this has been these this research that I've been doing with the adults has been some of the most satisfying that I've done in a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm just, you know, it's just I really am, am honored that you, you came on the show today to talk about this because I, I think what you're doing is just really exciting. I mean, the I, just the idea that the kids who get our intervention could turn around down the road and be the ones to provide intervention. I mean, that's just, there's something just, you know, to not be ABA for a second, to just be like pure emotion and heart that just feels good. <laughs> there's, I don't know yeah. how else to put it. It just feels really good. Like, wow, like we, we all did that. We all contributed to that. And now the cycle continues. So I think that's really cool. Um, yeah. thank, thank you thank so much you. for being our, my, my guest today. Um, well, thank you. Um, you know, with our last few minutes, I just wanted to uh, to share a couple of closing thoughts with everybody. Obviously, uh, we've had a great conversation today, and um, I think this conversation is one we, we want to continue to have. Um, you know, and I think uh, Dr. Lerman's advice was really good advice at the end, that we may not always know what all the resources are. We don't, may not always know what all the funding is out there, but turning to 
others in our community is really important, whether it be behavior analysts who maybe they don't explicitly say, I work with teenagers and young adults, but turning to them for resources or turning to other parent groups out there. I know that you know, here in Los Angeles, uh, the Autism Society of America uh, LA branch puts on a, a transition conference every year. Uh, they've got one coming up in mid-January where this is what they talk about for two days, resources, services, supports. Um, they go beyond ABA. They look at what type of state funding is available, what type of insurance funding is available. And I think just spreading that awareness, uh, whether it be at a conference like that or like a walk I went to this past weekend where, as I said, that was a big part of the conversation. I think that's really important. So if you're out there, uh, regardless of where you're located, uh, you know, which of our states, I think there are groups like this across the country that are, are great for you to turn to. Um, and if you need any more guidance or if you have a more questions, obviously, you know, you can always reach out to us um, at autismtherapies.com or our Facebook page. Um, if uh, you're in the Houston area, I know we mentioned uh, Dr. Lerman is at University of Houston, Clear Lake. Um, her clinic is doing amazing work down there. And any young behavior analyst, please take it from me who gets to work with some of her students. She's doing an amazing job training uh, future BCBAs. And uh, if you're in there and you're interested in the field, I think that's a great program and a great person to learn from um, because my friends are fantastic and I love working with them. Um, we talk a lot about insurance. We talked a little bit about it today. But if you do have questions, because um, it, it is the big topic, I know it's the thing that a lot of folks are talking about in the community. Uh, please feel free to go to our website. Um, I'm posting some new information with some new updates that are coming, but also autismvotes.org, um, uh, the public policy offshoot of uh, Autism Speaks, is also updating. I always tell families, go check it out. There's great resources there. So please uh, make sure you, you check that out too because that's one of those resources that I think people are always surprised um, is out there and can help them more than they thought. Um, that's our show this week. Thanks for tuning in. I hope anyone on the East Coast is safe and sound and doing well. Um, I called my folks this morning just to make sure after talking to them again last night. So please be safe out there. I hope you're all doing all right. And we will tune, uh, hopefully you'll tune in and you'll, you'll talk to us next week. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week.